What's the Crack Podcast, proudly sponsored by JMR Property Maintenance. From rewires to extension builds, JMR have it covered. Contact them today for a free, no obligations quote. Good evening and welcome back to What's the Crack Podcast in association with the JMR Property Maintenance and the Auto Plaza in Coventry. I'm here with my co-host Neil. Neil, how are you, mate? Good, David, mate. Good, mate. How are you, pal? All good, mate. This evening, we're joined by the UK's most feared comedian, Frank Callion, and his son and his manager, Will Cranny. Cheers for your time, boys. How are you? All good, mate. You OK? Yeah. Welcome to everyone. R- really appreciate you giving up your time to speak to us, guys. Oh, don't worry. We're doing nothing. We're in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, it's time about it, mate. Have <laughs> right. so, I, 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 you been coping? All good? Well, yes and no. I mean, like everyone else in the UK, around the world, everyone in the world, really, we've got to just try and make the best of it. Um, and that's been horrendous. As we all know, people have lost their livelihoods, pubs have closed, never to reopen. And uh, for me, anyway, not working, really, for 14 months it's been now. been absolutely horrendous in every way, financially. Mm. But I love working. Will loves working. It's our life. We like being on the stage. So... There's light at the end of the tunnel. It looks as though we're coming to the end of it. So just keep our fingers crossed. And it's this week anyway. All I've been hearing is good news. So, yeah, looking well now. Looking good, in it? Fingers crossed, mate. We'll be back on stage soon. Yeah, I think we will, yeah. All I guess we'd like to go straight back to the start, boys. Obviously, growing up around Liverpool, Birkenhead. What was it like for you both growing up? Obviously, different generations. I'm laughing. Dave just said Birkenhead. Dave, thank you. Get tired yeah. of the Birkenhead brush. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not being funny, I don't know how to put this. It's, uh, if you say to, you know, I'm in Liverpool, but if you say you're from Birkenhead, it's like saying you're from Tennessee to someone <laughs> young. Because they eat their own young and everything and sleep with the system. <laughs> I'm saying, Dave, you started off on a bad foot here. You know, and Birkenhead came on. Strangely <laughs> enough, we've just been in Birkenhead tonight through the Mersey Tunnel, yeah. We've been in Birkenhead. Will's got this problem with his jaw. He's been a bit of pain. So we, we went to this uh, acupuncturist chiropractor thing. So, yeah, we were in Birkenhead tonight, weirdly enough. So what was it going up like in Liverpool for you, Frank? It was great uh, growing up in Liverpool. Like, probably <laughs> got a lot in common, really, with Coventry. Um, I don't want to put my history head on, but the two most bombed cities in mm-hmm. the UK. And, and what you get out of that, you get a kind of... Uh, the resilience with the people. Coventry's rough, just like Liverpool, rough and ready. Um, some rough areas. And people have grown up poor. Yeah. And even though this generation I'm in, or even that Will's in, you know, poverty's never really kind of um, been an issue. I think that kind of going back two or three generations, it's moulded people into what mm-hmm. they are. And, and where I lived as anyway in Liverpool, there's always been a tradition I think it's because of the Irish immigrants that came over of being very quick-witted yeah. and very kind of um, and funny, yeah. Making a joke out of anything and everything. Yeah, 100%. And I think, like you say, that goes for uh, both sitters. Um, I-, I spent a bit of time in Liverpool uh, in my late teenage years. Uh, I was in the army and one of my best mates was from Topteth. So, uh, yeah, come down a couple of times. And you could just, like, just speaking to people around the area, you know, you, you can tell that... There's a certain yeah, mentality that you guys have got. They really are. So where were you when you were in Germany? 
No, no, no. Um, I was um, I was only basic training, but um, I was in a room of twelve, and I was the only one that wasn't from a Liverpool postcode. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So w- within six weeks, I started to develop this weird hybrid accent, uh, which <laughs> I, I, will, I will not do because let's be honest, no one needs to hear that. Um, but lo and behold, I was dragged into the boozer to watch Liverpool games every weekend. So uh, uh, I, I've, I've done that many you a time. Scouted by proxy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'll take that, Frank. I'll take that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> You're not from Baconhead, no, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm not a woolly back. I'm a proper scouser. <laughs> I knew straight away, no, I didn't know from Baconhead because they both got all the teeth. You know, you see the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I was talking to a lad tonight, a Baconhead lad, and. Uh, he said to me, he said, uh, I've just become an uncle for the first time. I said, really? He said, how was that? He said, my, my son has been born this morning. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. I, I, do you know what? I was waiting for some of the gags to come out. I didn't realise they were going to come out this soon. <laughs> but then again, what did we expect? We're sitting down talking to Britain's most feared comedian. There's going to be a few gags rolling at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, but I mean, on a stage, it's a bit different, a bit limited. I can't kind of pick up people. We've got no audience. Well, I'm sure we'll have a good laugh tonight, though. I'm looking forward to this. Hey, Frankie, Dave's fair game. Look at the clobber he's wearing, mate. He's fair game. Nothing wrong with a shirt, well, man. The bit of pretty green, man. It's all right, it? Can't go wrong. Well, the last time I saw a topic that like is, it was David Dickinson was wearing it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we go. Every podcast you have a go clubber, don't you? Stop fucking wearing it, there, mate. We'll be all right. Um, so, going back to you were bringing and stuff, um, we've mentioned Liverpool's a, a bit of a, a tough city. Um, is that kind of what gives you your sort of background to to get into comedy and the fact that you had to be able to handle yourself not just on the streets but with your tongue as well? You had to have a bit of banter about yeah. Yeah, because as you know, it's the same everywhere, really, all over the UK, or probably all over the English-speaking world. When you get a group of lads together in a pub or a club, everyone's kind of coming up with the banter, and everyone's kind of jockeying for position, pecking order. You know, there might be one fella that gets picked on every week. People take the piss out of probably, you know, in common it was Dave. And so, not saying you're prepared when you're a teenager for going out with the lads, but it was always nice. I used to think, have a couple of things ready in case somebody starts saying, look at the head on you tonight, and you're not going out with those shoes on, are you? you know, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and all my mates are pretty, you know, quick-witted and, and slagging each other off behind the backs. And there's this, you know, probably coming out of his house, so we picking up in the car, you know. And he's saying, what's this scruffy bastard got on tonight? You know? <laughs> and we're all giggling. Then he'd get in the car. What are you laughing at? Nothing, nothing. He's just, well, tell me the joke. It was a joke. <laughs> tell me the joke. <laughs> so we used to get, you know, a couple of lads are paranoid. But, yeah, it made it made your mind work when you know you're kind of under threat. Don't mean physically, but, you know, from the lads taking the piss. Yeah. Oh, 100%. You know, me, me and Dave have been around football for, for years and it's relentless, isn't it? Just, just the banter that when you get a bunch of lads together, the yeah. the banter is relentless. It's completely different to where you, you see women are quite nice to each other, uh, uh, and they look to bring that. Sorry, to interrupt. 
no, no, no. I've worked on clubs, social clubs in the late 70s, 80s, 90s. And what I can tell you is this. When you get a group of men, whether or not it's five men, ten men, or a thousand men in a room together, they behave totally, completely different than they would if there was any women at all in the crowd. Yeah. You, know, mm. you get. I used to do a lot of ladies' nights, which they'd have male strippers on, and they'd have a comic on, which I used to do sometimes. And normally, they were a good crowd, but when you've got a mixed audience, men and women, I don't know whether it was because the lads couldn't let themselves go because they were with the wives or whatever. When you get a mixed crowd, totally different. When you get, um, when I used to do all the stag shows in the 90s, when you get two or 300 men in a room all together, they behave totally different. It's kind of a kind of, um, I think it's kind of a prehistoric cavemen. They become, mm. they become kind of uh, fearless, you know, they're kind of really up for it and shouting out to the comic and having a go at the strippers. And their sense of humour is very different than it would be if there were women in the crowd. Yeah, I, I, think, I yeah. think that's true, to be fair. Dave, I, I'm, I'm sure you're a little bit different around your missus than you are when it's just us talking. A little bit. I'm just the way I'm really. I don't really bother. But yeah, <laughs> if, if I'm in a group with seven or eight people, it is a bit different. And if you're going down in a way game with your mates and you suck with your missus in the morning, it's a, you're going to be different, aren't you? <laughs> Well, Dave, I mean, you've had experience with audiences. I mean, when I looked at that top and the head on you, weren't you outside Marks and Spencer today? <laughs> banner. <laughs> Homeless and hungry. <laughs> oh, this is fucking brilliant. Frankie, you're free next week, mate. Uh, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> Just to go back to comedy, mate, when did you realise you were decent at it when you thought you knew you had a bit about you? Well, I was only was, was 20, 19 or 20, and I'd always kind of in school, and I loved telling gangs, and I used to love doing impressions as well. Used to all the old gangsters I used to, and I had about 35, 40 impressions I used to do. And then one day, a mate of mine, Danny Downing, who's a comic in Benidorm now, he's done very well out there. Where he lived, there was a club, and uh, they had strippers on every week. And then a comic on every week, but the place was really rough. It was rough as fuck. And the only way I can describe it, when I walked in, it was like the roulette scene in a deer hunter. Fuck I mean, it was in the end of the 70s, so everywhere was full of smoke. There were lads there with, you know, black eyes from the night before, people being sick in the corner, rammed, heaving. And they always had three girls on three strippers, an MC, a compere, and a comedian. But the comedian was always brought from out of town. And with Liverpool being kind of, you know, insular, um, they hated people from out of town anyway, especially if it was someone from Blackpool, Manchester, Yorkshire. So when the comic came on, the paid comedian for the day, all the lads would boo him. And they got to the stage where the paid comedian didn't even manage to tell one gag because he was getting barracked so much in the crowd. You know, I remember a guy coming on and he went, Oh, I walked into Taylor's today. Straight away, a fella shouted out, Is that where you got that fucking stupid suit from? You <laughs> dickhead. Fuck off. That's what it was like. So the MC said, Listen, lads, this just isn't working with these comics. I'm going to stop the comics coming. I'm going to run a joke of the week contest. Anyone can jump up, do a few gags down the mic. 
if you can get people to listen to you, whoever lasts the longest wins a fiver. So a couple of guys got up the first week getting booed and booed. But I got up and I literally took to it like a duck to water. And instead of the audience attacking me, I attacked the audience straight away, started, you know, look at this big fat cunt, where's he going? <laughs> Go and sit on these two chairs, you fat bastard. <laughs> so within minutes, you couldn't hear a pin drop. People were fascinated. What's he doing now? He's picking on this guy. And I was doing impressions as well, really mixing it all up. And very successful. I won the Joke of the Week contest for about a month. And then a, a fella came in, um, Don Navarro, his name was. He's a bit of an actor. I think he's dead now. And uh, a lot of people may remember, a lot of older people, there was um, a, a film called The Boys from the Black Stuff on the TV many years ago, based in Liverpool. And he, he was shake hands. This character used to shake people's hands. But he was an agent. He booked out comics and bands and singers to social clubs it was at the time and uh, he came in one Sunday afternoon he saw me then he approached me and he said look Frank you want to get you on the road I think you're great so he started getting me work and that's how it started. So, so would you say that's your first proper gig then uh, as such? Well it wasn't the first I mean it was thrown to the wolves really thrown in at the deep end after I'd done the the, the, the gigs at the at the Rough Club, you know, the Sunday afternoon strip show, then the the only gigs that were operating at the time were social clubs. Mm -hmm. Now they worked in the late 70s, early 80s. You always had a band on a group at 8 o'clock. They played till about 9. Then you had your comic on for about an hour, and then you had a singer on, then the band would go back on. But traditionally... They didn't like anything blue in the clubs, you know, British yeah. regions, conservative clubs, Labour clubs. They didn't like you to swear. So I was kind of on a sticky wicket when I started out on the clubs. And I had a bad time for a long time um, because I couldn't be blue. And then just by accident, really, because every now and then I'd go on stage and I wouldn't really, I'd go, oh, fuck it, you know, I don't care. I'd start swearing. Certain places would do very well. You know, in rough areas where they were used to the language at home and things. And then eventually, in the 80s, these stag shows came in and they were absolutely booming mid-80s. And what they were, were private shows in rugby clubs, golf clubs, any venue at all. I mean, I've worked on barges, aeroplanes, um, on ships, anywhere where there's a group of lads. They used to hire a comic and a stripper. And to me, it was dead easy. So I've done very, very well, extremely busy for many years, working, you know, four or five shows a day on a Saturday and Sunday wow. all over the north of England. Got down as far probably as Birmingham. I think I went to Coventry a couple of times. Yeah, I did go to Coventry, the British Legion there, and that was with a couple of girls, mm. a couple of strippers. So then I discovered later on that there's not much difference between you can do a clean show and you can do a blue show. I can work clean now. And it's all experience on stage. I mean, I know I've probably been on stage more than any comic who's alive at the moment. I, I reckon I've been on stage about seven or 8,000 times in my life. You know, okay, no. I've seen everything that there is to see. I've been attacked on stage. I've seen fellas, seen fights break out in the audiences. I've seen women come in 
to a stag show and attack a fella because he was watching a stripper. Jesus. Uh, been in shows where the police have raided the shows because there was girls on anything you can think of. Um, but it's been a fantastic experience for me. Just in terms, obviously, your style as a comedian, talking about this earlier, you've kind of brought an old style to a new generation now, haven't you? So it's obviously learning something and eighties, you're bringing it now in, into the modern day. How, how is it can going? You just, uh, can you just uh, put subtitles up for that, please? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand the fucking word you said. How the fuck is the scouts having to get my what accent? What the fuck is that? <laughs> all I could hear was you down, all that. Fucking hell. Um, yeah, it's, 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 you put me off here and I'm absolutely melting, falling apart. Just yeah. slowly, English please on this one. <laughs> In terms of your comedy style, you've brought an old, like an old style to a new generation. Yeah. How is it, how's it working now? Because in this day and age, you can't fucking get away with anything. Well, you can and you can't. And that's a very good point, Dave. Seriously. When I was doing the, um, what you term now as old-fashioned comedy, it's not old-fashioned. It's, old, it's, it's British comedy, traditional comedy as it's always been, so that you've got a little story that you're telling and then you hit them with a, with a punchline. That's a real gag. Yeah. Where I'm not really into the alternative comics at all. They're what you call observational comedy, something that's mm. come over from the States, where they're not really telling jokes, they're just kind of describing events that may be humorous. So, no, I, I, I wouldn't really call it old-fashioned. And what I do, I'm interacting with the audience all the time, which is, I know it's been done before, but it's kind of new, really. And people are fascinated by picking on anybody that walks past. People are actually afraid to sit at the front when I'm on, which I think is great. And uh, when the alternative comedy came in, the only reason that uh, alternative comedy kind of took off, it all acted in reverse. I mean, when I was doing, uh, when there was traditional comedy in the 70s and 80s, early 90s, to get on the TV, you had to work your bollocks off around the club for many years. Hopefully someone would see you, a producer from a TV show, and say, we'd like to invite you to have your own show on television. It happened to Cannon and Ball and people like that, and uh, Jim Davidson, that's what happened to him. But then, at the end of the 90s, mid-90s, you got this kind of university humour. And fellas were coming straight from university, virtually never been on stage, and straight onto television. And I can see them. I mean, a lot of these shows that they have, these panel shows, I can see a lot of the comics that are on them, and I know straight away instinctively they're very, very inexperienced. Does, and they're not that... comics anyway. So they they kind of they they kind of got in through the back door. And young people who are growing up have only been used to what they can see on the TV. Yeah, I think that's what Dave's, Dave's comment was before. Obviously, he wasn't saying that it was an old-fashioned style that was being brought yeah. to new people. It's basically that the generation that me, Dave, and Neil are all a part of have not been witness to this comedy in the mainstream well, you're before. Both, yeah. you're, both a, you're both a thousand percent right. Yeah. And this is what drove me, really, through what I'd call the lean years. When I was still working the clubs and I was working... But, you know, for buttons, and when the social clubs were dying out, and when mainstream comedies, I'd like to call it, was dying because people didn't know about it, really. All they were aware of was the alternative comic they could see on the television. Yeah. 
But I always had the conviction that what I was doing was very, very funny. I mean, great, you know, if there's a, if there's a, a vehicle, if people want to go and see alternative comics, great. I'm not having to go with them. There's many different types of comedy. But the comedy I was doing at the time, I knew, you know, my soul, I thought, you know, this is very, very funny. And I knew British people because of where I thought, and I thought this is very funny to people and I want to try and bring it to a bigger audience. And I got my chance, of course, when the video went viral. Now, what you find, which is absolutely fascinating, you've got working class lads that I entertain now um, who've never seen a comic like me, literally never seen a comic like me in their life. Now, for instance, we were in a club, or I was in a club in Warrington, it was a couple of years ago, and there were some young lads at the front, and uh, I went on stage to do my thing, I was savaging one of these lads, you cross-eyed twat, <laughs> you cry, your tears go down your fucking back, ugly <laughs> cunt when you were born, you had to have tinted windows on the incubator, that guy a pork shop around your neck and a dog will play with you. All this him. went on and on. And when I come off, there's a bit of a crowd around this front table, and I thought someone had taken ill. Do you know what it was? All it was, this young kid, he was only 17, I was having a go with his mate, and he'd literally never laughed so much in his life. And he, he went into this, like, thing, like, he had, like, a funny turn. Fucking hell. <laughs> but, you know, I get it an awful lot. People have never seen it before. And, and initially, for the first few minutes, they get a shock. But they, they get into it. And, um, you know, I'm not blowing my own trumpet. But I, I, I know what I'm doing. And I can take audiences, which we're doing. I can take audiences to another level, which two or three times the volume of laughter than what you get from, from a TV alternative comedian yet. You mentioned there the video that went viral. That's why I first seen you. I think it was 2018. Someone tagged me in a video on Facebook. That's right. I thought, what the fucking hell is this? I clicked on it. And for the next six minutes, I thought, who is this bloke? He's off his behind it. What is going on? Yeah. <laughs> how, how did it come about? Was it meant to be filmed that day? Instead? Yeah, well, no. I tell you, it was very strange, really. And this is quite surreal. And it's got to make for, just got to say, make for good TV. Because it's a true story. It would make for a good podcast. The story is, at the time, it was filmed in 2017, would you believe, four years ago. And I was having a really bad time um, getting work, as you say, all the clubs that I'd been working on, British Legions, were all closing down. The recession was raging. So there were very few and far between bookings work-wise, so I was really struggling. I remember somebody gave me this job on Father's Day. And um, it was a rough crowd. And a couple of people at the audience at the bar were heckling me. But because I've been used to rough places all my life, I could handle it. And the Scottish fellas, now, one of the guys kicked off a little bit. So I thought, I had to go with his, uh, the Scottish fella, I had to go with him. I said, you're in court for having sex with a cat. But the judge won't believe a Scotsman would put anything in a kitty. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he kind of didn't like it. And then it's, I remember I said to him, you were in the butchers, and you said to the butcher, hey, mate, is that a pig's head in the window? And he said, no, it's a mirror. <laughs> 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 but 
But yeah, I think his son-in-law started kicking off a little bit. I didn't know he was kicking off. And he went to the toilet and he came back and he tried to touch me on hand. And what I normally do if someone's kicking off, I'll put my hand out in the chest and push them back. Mm. And then if you try and... I've had, lo- I've had loads of it. You wouldn't believe how many I've had. Push them back. And as I'm pushing them back, if you take a swing and you'll miss you see, then the bouncers will jump on him. But I knit him myself. That's how it normally works. So... That day, I mean, it's happened thousands of times, but that was the first time that it had ever been filmed and it came to people's attention. And thank God, people were absolutely fascinated with it. Mm-hmm. And everybody wants to know what actually happened. Was the fella kicking off? He wasn't actually kicking off. What he'd done, I think his hands were wet and you can't hear him on the video, but he comes back and he's rubbing his hand on my head. And what he's saying is, Here's some Mr. Sheen for your head, Baldy. <laughs> I don't know if he pissed on his hand or it was wet or whatever, but I pushed him away. And uh, it got filmed 2017, Father's Day. And the fella that filmed it kept it for exactly a year and posted on, posted it on Father's Day 2018. The mad thing about that, Neil, just rolling back to you being in the army and basically, you know... It, it's it's that lad culture with with loads of lads being yeah. you know having that type of of crack and and um, the guy who filmed it um, was in the army he was an ex army lad so him having that video and throwing it about to guys that were all over the UK rather than just having a group of friends that were in one close proximity yeah. to each other meant that randomly the video just went boom and just shot everywhere at once and actually hit its its two most viral points on the first video, one in Watford and one in Hartlepool, you know, totally different. Fucking yeah, different parts of, of yeah, the world. It's all been quite surreal, really, but it just shows you the power that, you know, you can make it two or three minutes, was it? And it can just turn your whole life around. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is I was going to ask how you know your your career changed after that because all of a sudden you've gone from being um, not exactly mainstream to you know you've now got the moniker the most feared comedian in the UK and and, and that's for a reason. Um, do do you credit that partly to the video going viral? Well, yeah, obviously it's gone initially. The video went viral, brought me to people's attention. Mm. But certainly, I think, without Will, I'm not just saying it, without Will, kind of uh, with the social media output that he does with podcasts and live streams and whatever, um, it probably would have died off, especially during the recession, during yeah. the um, pandemic. It kind of would have died off. Where it's really kind of got legs now. It's, 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 it's gone kind of massive. You know, everywhere I go, we've just been in a garage and I've had you, Frankie Allen, can have a picture. And it's all been quite surreal and very strange when I've worked... You know, being totally unknown for 40 years I've been on the stage. Totally unknown since the late 70s. No one knew my name. Working, doing the same act everywhere. Do it in one place. Somebody films you. And all of a sudden, you know, for instance, the first job that we got, a couple of weeks after the video went viral, Will said, this guy wants to book it down in Plymouth. So I said, okay. Never been to Plymouth before. Got the train down there. And good trip that is down there, isn't it? Sorry? It's a good trip that is, Liverpool to Plymouth. Liverpool, yeah, it's a bloody big trip. So I went down on my own. I got off the train station. So I'm walking down this hill, 
towards where I thought, you know, the club was, go to club first. And uh, a gang of lads were walking up, about 17, 18. And they just stopped me and this fella said, Frankie, can we have a picture? <laughs> and I went, I just, I really was totally kind of dumbstruck. Mm. I just went, I even said to one of the how, how do you know me? And he went, because of the video. I went, okay. And the guy that owned the club, he pulled up then in his car. He's supposed to meet me. He was a bit late. So he said, I'll show you the club now, Frank. So he said, but before I go to the club, I want to take you to this other place because a few friends of mine are in this bar just for some pictures. I mean, it was just fucking... It's just like a dream. Yeah. Neil, it was it was surreal trying to, to get my dad to understand the um the how significant that original viral video was because it's yeah. literally like winning the lottery, you know. And but the thing with, with that is you can either win the lottery and you know, waste all your money within six months and go back to ground zero, or you take that and you invest it and you become bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what thankfully we've been able to do between the two of us and put it into that position. But it was hilarious at first because my dad totally understands now, you know, if, if we had a video, we got one last February that was 3 million or it's about 4 million or something like that. And, and, and we can pump out these viral videos as and when kind of based on the format that we know works. Yeah. Or at that point, Frankie's route to stardom was always television, television, television. And when the initial viral video hits, his personal phone number was the website. That was it. So, you know, he had a tiny little Nokia phone, like, you know, that he'd take bookings on. And I was trying to clamber it all back straight away. But you were still, like, just on the phones, like, all mad fans at, like, all hours in the morning and that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's pretty funny. I don't know where he even got my number from. And, and initially, a lot of people didn't even know my name. Because there's no name attached to, to when the video yeah, went viral, there's no name on it. Yeah. So it's all been very strange. But don't get me wrong, it's been fantastic. And what, what they say, better late than never. Mm. But it's, it's weird, isn't it? Even today, go out, what I get an awful lot of. If I see, like when I went to this garage tonight to get petrol, there was a, a lad serving there, there's a white guy, but he's about uh, 25. Now, when I saw him, I knew straight away he'd know me. It's mainly lads 18 to 35, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, more between 25 and 35. 25 and 35. Yeah. So every time I go out, and this happens really every day, if I see, and I mean, I don't want to kind of like, without being unkind to them, if I see any lads who are doing dirty jobs, kind of if there's a, a, a van going past with bin men, or if there's fellas going plastering, or builders going by, if they see me, they'll all shout out the window, Frankie! Yeah. So, yeah. what you won't get, if I see somebody pull up at the lights next to me, who's 65, you know, they don't know me. Yeah. You know. Well, to, to, to be fair, I think you're right there in terms of your demographic. I'm 32. And, yeah. you know, I've got a couple of WhatsApp groups, and some of, the, some of my mates know that we do the podcast, and, when I said, oh, tonight I'm speaking to Frank Allen, oh, that's that comedian that fucking chains people on stage, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it, and it is, it's a, it's a case of, I know for a fact that if I were to speak to my nephew who's 20, 
he might not quite know who you are. It, you might be just out of reach. Where and, and if I spoke to my old man, he might not know who you are. But all my mates, plenty of I think three or four videos have gone through my WhatsApp groups at, at some point. Yeah, they certainly will have. But um, I mean, the interesting thing about that is lads like ourselves that are in this age bracket. I mean, much like our, our parents would have done, and much like our sons will do is have that banter where everyone will go maybe to the footy match, as you as you, told, you said earlier on, and everyone takes the piss out of each other, and that's yeah. what lads do when they're together. Yeah, and even though I'm not a young fella anymore, I've always had that young sense of humour, for instance. Mm. Young people think being old is funny, if you know what I mean. Now, I can see someone in a crowd who's got grey hair and a beard. They might be 60, 70. And I'll say to them, don't be drinking whiskey, mate. You'll see enough spirits next year. You're dying. <laughs> or I'll, I'll say down the mic, not long now. Next year, the police will be kicking your door in. The blue bottles will be on the window. All that. You know. But young lads think it's funny because when you're young, you never think you're going to get old. You see, it's hilarious. Yeah take the piss out of someone who's old. But I've always, even though I'm not young now, I've always kept that sense of humour. You know? mm. And like, even on the video that went viral, I'm not saying I've got no respect for women, but I'll pick on women as well as men because I just think it's, you know, if, you, if you're going to pick on people, let it be everybody. 100%. You know? You're not sexist, you're not racist, you're not homophobic. Pick on everybody. Then what can be, you know, it's all encompassing. So, you know, if I see a girl, a lot of comics, a lot of comics I know, even guys who pick on people in a crowd, if a woman walks past, they won't say anything because they think it's not right, really. Not etiquette, it's bad manners. and mm. But I'll savage women. <laughs> you know, that on the video that went viral, a girl walked past. Now, she was ugly. <laughs> but I said to her, Hey, love, it's a good job Peter Sutcliffe's in jail. <laughs> she, said, she said, why? And I said, because if he saw you, he'd put the mask on your fucking head. Fucking brilliant, mate. I shouldn't have said that, you shouldn't have said that. But it's only for a split second that it's only a joke. And it's yeah. gone. if you do it to everybody, you know, anybody that walks past me, I will have a go at. Well, I've, got, did, I've, got, I've got a lot of time for that. How did you get into it, mate? How did you become Frankie's manager? Um, basically, my background in marketing and events, I've done it for a long time, David. So um, I was working on a project that actually got that, that came to a halt in about the May of 2018. And I was wondering what my next thing was going to be into. So I was away in Spain and, and all of a sudden all these videos started flying around. And I was like, okay, look, I'm going to have to capitalise on this. So essentially what we did was we just rode the back of it and took a load of bookings for the back end of 2018. Now, it's all well and good if you go viral with a video and six months later, if you're still in a pub and you're still a pub comedian or a working man's comedian, then it's died a death automatically because people don't hold you in higher regard then. So I had to level it up. So I basically started my own events company in order to level up the spec of the venues, bring in young lads like ourselves to places they felt comfortable in, and then slowly but surely we've built it and built it. So at the end of April, we're launching a full UK theatre tour, past these venues, 500 to 2,500, and um, we're hitting everywhere. And, and basically, it's 
it's as as you said earlier, it's lads our age who were who come along in the droves. I think it's eighty percent male, but uh, there's still women in the crowd. But it's but it's a different audience than most people expect because a lot of older people will say to me, "Oh, you know, Frankie, I need to get him in my social club." I go like, "What are you talking about, mate? He's got fucking thousands of fans of young lads, you know." So so yeah, it's all good. But but an interesting thing that I wanted to touch on with with you two lads, we were talking earlier about. The, the style of comedy and stuff like that, Frank will admit himself that he started to learn more and more what young lads find funny. And the main reason that he, he's found this out is by we've started doing these celebrity video messages. Yeah. And the, yeah. the celebrity video messages are basically, you've seen them plenty of times. People will pick it up and say, hey, how's it going, et cetera, et cetera. But, I wanted to try and make something out of it. So there's a guy called Gilbert Godfrey based in America and he basically no holds barred roasts people. So I got Frank on doing the same thing, but we get requests from people now. But I think you started to learn the sense of humour more that younger yeah, lads have. Because... This memo thing, it's an agency in, in, in Sweden, is it? And they, they operate in the UK and they've got celebrities, A-listers, B-listers. And... It was kind of like wishing people happy birthday. Yes, it started yes. off, you know, I was going, happy birthday, this is Frankie Allen, happy birthday to Billy, hope you have a lovely day. But that, what it morphed into and where we're doing very well on, and it's kind of like we've survived the lockdown financially because of it. Um, young lads want their mates roasting. Yeah. yeah. So for instance, we don't want um, a good example I think it was Stepney is it in London, a place in London, and a kids when I say kids, a teenagers football team, young lads, nineteen twenty. Now their goalkeeper Billy, apparently they were saying he's a rubbish goalkeeper. We always get beat because he always the, the forwards always lob the ball over his head, you know, every match. So I had to come on and I went, Billy. When are you going to put your fucking hands up in the air? <laughs> you fucking dickhead. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard of catching a ball when it's in the air? Grab the ball, you prick. They've been trying everywhere to get a new goalie. They can't get one. A fella with no arms would do better. Get yourself... And they love it. And we, we haven't really had anybody kind of taking offence either. Because we get reviews coming in, and and, and, they, and you know we've got a few, we've had a few kind of um, that we declined. You can decline them, you know. We don't like, you know. There was one people going OTT. Going on, but yeah. Yeah. Basically, what 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 Frank's found and what I found, and and what I what what I kind of knew, but we've lent the stage performance towards is the focus was primarily for years for Frankie on going on stage and telling jokes. Now, that's cool. That's the bulk of the act. But at the same time, people like us aren't going to the shows primarily because they want to hear jokes. They're going to the shows because they want to be sat in the crowd where your mate gets fucking absolutely ribboned. So, and the harsher, the better. Do you know yeah. what I mean? To an yeah. extent. So that's what you've started doing, haven't you? Yeah, concentrate more. It's also the stage act, really, when we get back. I'm, you know, I'm picking up people even more and keeping them kind of pinned to the seat kind of thing, and uh, got to live up to the name UK's Most Fear Comedian. But we've been very successful on the memos. We've even had a few from the States, you know, 
this girl came on and she said that uh, in the office that she worked, the boss keeps sucking his thumbs behind his mask and he's giving out bits of paper with his thumb. So I thought, well, this isn't going to work in New York. It was with my accent. So I had to do this kind of uh, gangster's voice, you know, and I went, hey, Eddie. I hear you sucking your fucking thumb. <laughs> yeah, you're giving out paper to the girls. Listen, you pet. I'm going to come to your house. We're going to waste your see. I'm going to... And she was quite happy with it. But, you know, the bulk of them are, are just... For, for, for all lads, UK lads, we've had a few weird ones, a few strange ones. We've declined. Um, I've had a suspicion a couple of times that... People are trying to play each other off, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, one fella came on and he said, uh, this fella's name, and uh, he, he's uh, a dealer, you know, and he's just bought this Range Rover, and uh, he's driving around this town, I won't mention the town, uh, as though he's fucking Pablo Escobar. He thinks he's big time. So uh, so I had to ring, you know, make the memo and say, yeah, uh, uh, Eddie, you're driving round like you're Pablo Escobar. You're moving a few. You've got yourself a fucking Range Rover. It's nearly killing you, paying four hundred pounds a week to keep it. You fucking prick. Now listen, mate. I'm on the motorway now. I'm gonna drag you out of that Range Rover and punch your fucking head in. You stupid. <laughs> but Will was saying that you've got to be careful. It could be a settle. Yeah. 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 But most of them are in good humour and they're great. And. Um, as I say, certainly altered the way I think of an audience now. It's it's funny you say that. Like what you've been talking in my head, I've been thinking, who can I get him to, to fucking say? <laughs> uh, and 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 I, I can really see the attraction of it. Like you say, a, a couple of my mates are forty this year. A couple of my mates, you know, are getting married. Perfect opportunity on a stag do just to go. Yeah, by the way, have that. And there's a video of you calling them all the names of the sun sort of thing. More or less, Neil, that comes in is from a lad's WhatsApp group. And all it'll be is Dave will get one and then it'll come through and I'll see the name on it and it'll come back saying Dave has requested once a Neil. That's that's kind of how it goes. You get what I mean? See, we're we're up in very lucky. I'm not saying it shouldn't be saying this. It's 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 not one of the tricks or secrets of the trade. It's something that I found out a few years ago, which... Is really held, held, holds me in good stead. Now, I don't know whether you can remember a comedian called Jimmy Cricket. Do you, you remember the Irish guy with, with what a pair of wellies on stage? You ever see him? I know the name. I can't picture him. Anyway, this guy, his humour's very, very silly, and his gags aren't any good. They're very weak, what you call in the business. Very silly, like childish gags, but he's hilarious because, his mater- because it's his character and the way that he, he, he makes even though the material is not the strongest in the world, makes it funny because you're laughing at him more than the material. Now, with me, I found out that whatever I say to people, the worst thing I say, the funnier it becomes. So, yeah. For instance, when we were doing the stag shows, I'd walk out and I'd say to someone, oh, yeah, where are you going, mate? Didn't I see you today hanging around the children's playground? Now, <laughs> all the lads are fucking laugh like hell. And as a comic in Manchester, I won't mention his name, I was working with him, he was emceeing this evening, and he said, Frankie, you know when you say, you know, you go out and you say, I've seen you hanging around playgrounds. How does that work? I said, well, just do it. Just go and fucking say it. Mm. And he tried it on a club in Liverpool, and someone gave him a belt. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, as, 
to yeah, be fair, he's it, it, a man in Liverpool. This is my image. We really don't know, but it works for me. Yeah. So it's a strange thing. So a lot of people would be frightened to do the material that I do. A lot of people would be frightened to insult people the way I do. So I'm very lucky, really. Nobody can really imitate me or steal my act or my material because it's kind of like it's only I can do it. So that's where I've been lucky. Just to touch on what you said there, mate, in terms of obviously people kicking off and any horror, horror stories, there must be a fair few over the years, mate. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been, people have jumped on the stage many times. I, I've had, you know, people have jumped on me. Um, I've been really filled in, really hurt, you know, in a club. and had a terrible yeah. time. Um, been stabbed in a club. Um, yeah, lost a lot of blood, nearly died. Um, yeah, was that just because of your act? I mean, one of the worst ones ever, I was working down in Stoke um, with a couple of girls on, and we'd done this show strip show and the girls got in my car and this was in the 80s these guys came out started calling the girls scrubbers and all this and I was pushing this guy away and then when we got in our car we were driving through the countryside going towards the motorway and these fellas chased us you know trying to and they were bumper to bumper with us hitting the back of the car trying to make us you know more or less trying to make us crash into a field so they could do us in, you know. And uh, I have to, I don't know whether either can remember the crew clocks. Do you remember the crew clocks? No. Nah. In a car, what it was, it was, a, it was a metal device that you'd put over the gear stick to stop people pinching your car. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, anyway, there was one of them in the car, I had one, and I just had to, I threw it, you know, and it hit their car, and they, they were the ones that crashed, you know. So I've had a lot of very hairy moments, a lot of funny stuff as well. A lot of really hilarious moments. And, um, you know, we done, we told a story last week about I worked club in Liverpool. It was a pub. And this is another thing which has kind of worked very well for me. When the agents during the 80s and 90s were filling the social clubs with comics, they wouldn't give me any work because in their eyes I was too blue, used too much language. So what happened was... Any rough places that rang an agent up, they had the monopoly on the clubs at the time. And said, so if you've got a comic for Friday, comic for Saturday, a very rough pub, anywhere that nobody else would do, I got thrown in. But it worked very well for me because after years and years of doing it, I became kind of um, an expert at doing rough places and I still am. And one night... Uh, an agent gave me a job in this pub in Liverpool and speak really fucking rough. Walked into this pub. It'd been pestle bomb the night before. Packs of dogs outside. Um, everybody in the room was on cocaine. Fucking horrendous. I was on with this Elvis Presley tribute. And he's, uh, he, he was a Birmingham lad, funny enough. And uh, he came up to me in the dressing room and he was going, Frankie, don't like the look of this, mate. Looks fucking scary. I don't want to go on. <laughs> I was going, just go on. And do you... Anyway, I went on throwing ashtrays at him and everything. Fucking horrendous. So we had his Elvis suit on in the second half and he said to the manager, I'm not going back on. You don't have to pay me. I want to go home. So he didn't go on. So the manager said to me, will you go back on? So I went back on. And I'd only heard a few gags. And then I could hear, 
Frankie, help me. This guy screaming for fucking help. So I put the mic down and ran into the dressing room. He was trying to get away in his car. And this fella had him by his hand and swinging him round. It looked dead funny because he was dressed as Elvis. <laughs> so I ran out. So there's me fighting for Elvis. The manager ran out. He was a big lad. He hit the fella who was trying to boot Elvis up the arse. And uh, we got paid off the manager. The two of us escaped from the club, you know, jumped in the car and drove away. I'd left my car there. He had to go to McDonald's, wait till one in the morning till it was deserted and then go back. Um, but, I mean, there's been thousands of places that have worked that you think, fucking hell, a lot of places I've been to. And I thought, you know, I don't know how the fucking hell I'm going to get out of this one. You know? Mm. But what I've noticed, which is... I mean, this is sounding a little bit kind of demeaning to clubs and social clubs and pubs and maybe people, but I don't mean to be. Now, here's a strange thing. Um, every place in, in England, kind of every town, has a rival town, don't they? Yeah. yeah. They've got, you know, there's, you know, kind of like Blackpool and Preston, Liverpool, Manchester, Newcastle and Sunderland ate each other. Very kind of like um, Portsmouth and uh, Plymouth and, and, and um, Poole and Portsmouth and Southampton ate each other, Cardiff and Swansea, so, uh, uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow. It's all over the UK. But what I found is, um, I used to watch a lot of old movies when I was a kid and people used to talk about uh, an Englishman's sense of fair play. And I used to think that's a very kind of uh, strange thing to say. What does that mean? And does it only apply to upper-class people, you know, playing cricket and, you know, sense of fair play? And I've heard this many years, an Englishman's sense of fair play, but that's very, very true. Because I've been in lots of situations, for instance, to a place in uh, Nottingham one night, uh, Victoria Club it was called, it was on with these five strippers, must have been 1990, And I'm on stage picking on these guys walking past Picked on this guy, all of a sudden, he kicked off. Started to get on the stage, trying to hit me. Somebody dragged him away, and he was sitting on a table of about eight or nine lads. All these lads suddenly kicked off. About four or five of them stood up, and I could see they were going to come over and fucking do me in. I was like, fucking hell, where did we go here? You know, could get killed. And then... Another table that I didn't know, I didn't know the lads. One guy stood up, then another guy stood up and said, hey, sit down, fucking leave him alone. He's only doing a job. And that's what I found, and this is what I love about the UK, that I found quite by chance. The, the thing about an Englishman's sense of fair play is very, very true. English yeah. people, British people generally, they don't like bullies. Yeah. Now, you may be from another town, which is a rival to the town that you live in over football or whatever. But at the same time, if you get people who are picking on you for nothing, you will get support from, you know, British people will stand up and be counted. They don't like to see bullies. So that, that, that's something I've learned, which is very, very uh, profound, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and again, I, I think you're right, you know, me and Dave both kind of nodding our head along there, we talk about not liking bullies. Um, so, so what I just wanted to touch on, well, obviously, Frankie's your dad, and obviously you're his manager. Um, 
one that's a, a, a loaded relationship in itself. Obviously, you know that sometimes your dad can be potentially get himself into trouble. Yeah. How was that for you? You know, at a gig, one, you know, he's your client, but two, he's, he's your old man. Yeah. Okay. So first things first. Um, when the initial video went viral, and I, I knew what I had to do with regards to elevating things from a marketing perspective to put it on another tier. We had to say, look, these are the ground rules. The act can has to be a little bit more polished. You can't touch on certain subjects. Yeah. Boom, done, fine. Uh, you know, and, and we, we can only go in this direction. And to be fair, there wasn't much that had to be dropped from the act whatsoever. Um, but there might just be things that, that are slightly more contentious in an environment where, you know, it's a private environment with men or whatever with regards to going into the public eye. Um, you know, then from that... Now we have security at all the events. We have, you know, lots of different facets of the actual event itself that um, mean that all bases are covered with regards to, you know, he's not going to get attacked on stage or anything like yeah. that. But at the same time, people do kick off. and But less likely so now, Neil, because if, if you're in a position where you are billed as the UK's most feared comedian and people are coming to see you, that means that you're on the front foot automatically. If you're in, you're in an environment where there's 500 people there and they are all there to see you, it's miles different from if you're in a fucking pub and there's 20 lads and no one knows who the hell you are. Yeah. You know what no, I mean? Yeah, yeah, mate, 100%. Yeah. Look, look at this big fat bastard or something like that and some fella takes the ump, whereas if they're coming to see you and they want it, they'll be like, fucking hell, you just called that you fat bastard. Isn't that great? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, to be fair, it's a very valid point. It's, you know, you, you have moved away from those sort of spit and sword the social club venues where you have got Terry who's been on the piss for three days walking past sort of thing. is a bit more polished. Um, just before we move on to the next question, are, are, you, are you letting Dave get away with the fact he's sat there with fairy lights behind him? It's my missus, bad you know, What the fuck was going on? I thought he was in a brothel or something. <laughs> and I thought, seriously, Neil... I didn't know whether he was recording this for one of them, like, you know, like, like a sex webcam. <laughs> the way he's doing it. So I thought, what's, where's this going? My fucking bat's in bits, so I had to lean back against the wall for a bit. I bet that. Uh, oh, fucking brilliant. Triple Touch, obviously, this podcast on YouTube. Back in, um, back in January, I was subscribed to you on YouTube, thank you. Um, watched a few videos and that. I tore around your house. You met Sugar Ray Leonard. I met Sugar Ray. As I say, I was in the hill. I was in the Hilton in Coventry a few years ago with AJ, Anthony Joshua, guy called Les Allen, and um, booked that showy sporting events down there. Uh, but I've worked with Mike Tyson about the Hollyfield, uh, Henry Cooper when he was alive, uh, John Conte many times, um, Joe Calzaghe, Robin Reed, anybody you could think of really. I work with 99% of them. We're all really stand-up guys. They're great, you know, they're good lads. John H. Tracy. You know, some, some very good boxers, and they've become, a lot of them become very accomplished speakers as well, you know, when they're actually speaking and they're talking about their careers. They're very informative. So, yeah, it's, um, I, I really, yeah, yeah, work with Tyson. And um, you've got Larry Holmes, work with Larry Holmes, Tim Witherspoon, who's become kind of a friend of ours, Tim. You know, we've been working with him so many times. We speak to him now and then. He's over in the States, back in Philly, Frank Bruno. So there's no one really that I've not worked with, if you know what I mean. 
Did you, did you ever try your hand yourself in the ring? No, I've never bought the ring. I'm a boxing fan, mm. but I've never put a pair of gloves on in my life. You know, kind of like uh, had a lot of street fights when I was younger, but I've never, I've never been in a ring. No, I've never bothered. I've been in a ring. You wouldn't believe it. A few years ago, during the nineties, there were hundreds of boxing events where they used to put a comic in at the end of the night, and they were fucking horrendous, terrible, terrible shows because. Unless every boxer got knocked out within two minutes, you didn't go on till 11.30. The room was gone by then. Yeah. The fucking noise was horrendous. And <laughs> in a boxing ring, don't forget, you've you, you got four audiences. Yeah. So what you have to do, turn around very slowly. And as you're turning around, someone's echoing you from the back. You know, the number of times, you know, I've been attacked in the ring many times. I remember I was in Stoke once and uh, some fella walked past. He was an old fella, you know, and he walked past the ring and I'm on the mic and I said, hey, mate, this isn't a shortcut to the fucking crematorium. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, he kicked off and he, he must have been an ex-boxer because I could see the way he got in the ring. He lifted the, the rope up straight away, you know, very quickly, ducked down, got in. So he, tried, he threw a left at me, and I just ducked, got out of the way. And I've got him in a fucking headlock. And there were doormen on, there were bouncers. I don't know where the fuck they were. And it was quite funny, really, because he's trying to hit me. So we're going round in a circle. And all the lads are shouting, finish the joke off, Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a couple of the bouncers came and dragged him away. I've had a lot of that, you know. Um, people trying to get in the ring. Sometimes not even someone that you pick on. You know, just fucking idiots. You get a lot of idiots as well that might just try and get in the ring and get the mic off you. Listen, I've got a better joke than what you can tell. So, yeah. I mean, once thousand and one things can happen when you're on stage. What's the story with AJ and Cov? What's the story with AJ? In Coventry. Oh, in Coventry. Yeah, well, all it was, we got booked... Um, Will came with me, he was there that night, we had a great night, and all it was, AJ obviously, he wasn't even the world champ then, it was about four or five years ago, but he was obviously, everybody knew he was going to be the world champ, he was being mobbed and we were on the state of things, and uh, it, was, it was a strange night because there was a table of lads, all 25, 30, 30, so as I'm telling gags, they started singing, who are you, who are you, who are you? So this fella shouted, I was on his own, who the fuck are you? So I shouted back, I'm your fucking dad. <laughs> 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 so he didn't like it. So he grabs a chair and he's coming towards, I mean, the, the, we had security on either side of the stage. I don't know whether they thought it was part of the act because he didn't do anything. And so, so he's, he's coming with his fucking chair to Whitney with his chair. And luckily enough, there was a guy in the crowd um, who was a bare-knuckle boxer, this guy from London, Cyril, who sadly passed away now, hasn't he, Will? Yeah, from Leicester, wasn't he? Or oh, was he from Leicester, yeah. was he? Yes, yeah, Cyril. You may know him. He was a bare-knuckle boxer, big guy. And uh, he, he died, I think it was last year. And, uh, I mean, you wouldn't... If you saw him, you, literally, you, you wouldn't say boo to him. Yeah. And he just went up to the guy and took the chair off him and said, sit down. And that was it, you know. You get a lot of that. You will get a lot of people to support you. I've seen many things. You know, I've seen fellows 
on shows when we've had strippers on. I saw one show, it was in Cheshire, very nice place, very nice club, and all the lads are right at the front, and this guy's watching the stripper doing something on the fucking floor, you know. The next thing, this woman runs in, punches him right in the fucking jaw. His wife. Fucking he hell. Must, he must have told that he was, he was going shopping or something. You know? <laughs> so, and then we used to get a lot of shows. I used to do a lot of shows, stag shows, around Manchester, funny enough, strangely. You'd have two strippers on and a comic and whatever, and uh, live sex and all this. And what they do on the card, they sell tickets for it, but they code it, you know, case the lads. So what, what a lot of it used to be um, um, something like uh, horticultural evening at the name of the club, but it just get round, you know, by when you're buying for the flower show, it's a strip show. Yeah. So people would come along because they'd, they'd love the, the, the kind of uh, the secrecy of it, you know. I, I, I've been to a couple of presentation evenings. Uh, <laughs> when nothing's been presented, uh, put, put, put it that way. So, well, word of mouth, word of mouth, very powerful, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. I've just realised uh, I've had my own Frankie at the moment, and uh, I'm quite, I'm quite proud of myself. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this on the camera. I, I'm quite a big lad. Um, big, it's all uh, the fucking house. Yeah, cheers, Dave. Rick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I am. Um, I used to be involved in the football club and um, I, I had a lad giving it, why are you so fat, the old game sort of thing and having a bit of banter backwards and forwards. And in the end, I'll give it, wow, the reason I'm so fat is every time I fuck your mum, she gives me a Twix. <laughs> um, you can have that one, Frank. Uh, <laughs> he didn't like that and he, he comes swinging for me at the end of it. So uh, I, I, he's nowhere near on the level you've had, but I, I've it literally just hit me as you were talking, and I've had my own Frankie Allen moment. Oh, he, 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 started, he started to hit you? Yeah, yeah, he comes ringing for me at the end. He, he fucking missed, though. It's a bit like his football ability. He couldn't fucking hit a bar door anyway, so... Uh... Did you do, Neil? Did you give him a belt? No, nah, to, 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 to be fair, before he even got a chance, I kind of ducked underneath the first punch he's thrown, and then everyone's just kind of got Jump involved. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. Um, but yeah... I, couldn't handle the banner, bless him. So, uh, does that mean I could build myself as Britain's second most feared comedian? Well, Dave, uh, Neil, seriously, I've started off a lot of comics. Guys have been in my house and written scripts for, for comics starting off and, and, and doing quite well, you know. Or basically, all you need is a little bit of nerve, you know, a little bit of bottle, yeah. really. Well, just while we were on that, you know, obviously, we've got a, we've got a big show up coming up in Coventry. And what I was thinking, you know, uh, it's at the Rialto Plaza, Friday, 13th of August, if anyone wants to buy the tickets. I thought it would be quite cool as a support act if Dave wanted to get wheeled out on, on a bed with fairy lights. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you reckon, Dave? I'm going that night anyway, mate, so yeah, I'll, I'll be there for you to do that. <laughs> I, I, I was, was going to say to me... bed in the crowd with fairy lights on, mate. <laughs> it, it, it's all right, you'll be able to pick us out in the crowd. I'm the fat fuck and he's the one with the shit shirt on. <laughs> Yeah, looking forward to that. I mean, it's the first um, it's the first big Coventry show that we've done since Frankie's virality. I think it's been rescheduled about four bloody times due to the corona. Mm. But um, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be sold out there in August. It's gonna be a good one. I'll be hosting it. We've got James Kilvinson from Middlesbrough, who is a brilliant comedian, and uh, he's gonna be supporting Frankie on the night. And we're gonna have a good laugh, aren't we? And, and who do you reckon's gonna get more stick, Frank, Dave or, or Neil? Oh, it's gonna be Dave. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to be able that night, man. If you walk past, I'll say, fucking hell, you better be careful on bonfire night. (laughs) (laughs) You must have a few quid. You don't don't spend your money on clothes. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I'm I'm really looking forward to that night. I, I love a, I love a good night at the comedy. Being a big lad, I do, I do get picked on sometimes though. And um, but yeah, well, then, if someone the size of you, people who fancy themselves going to try and prove something, to test the water, see. Yeah, look, I've got thick skin, so I don't mind it. So I, I look forward to hear what you've got, Frankie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he'll, be, he'll have a twitch in his back pocket. <laughs> you know, it, it's a strange thing, really. It's it, Friends of mine, I'll never pick on really. Once, once the friends, only strangers really. Sometimes, I mean, a lot of, a lot of this business taught me an awful lot. Where you can pick on people. I mean, I do a gag. I open up with a gag, and what the, the thing is, I'll see a girl with glasses on, and I'll say, "Look at that girl with glasses." Excuse me. Do you know what, love? I've always dreamed. And making love to a pretty girl that wears glasses. So if you, you couldn't lend those glasses to that girl over there. For... <laughs> but Brilliant. I've been to a couple of places and there's been no one with glasses. I always <laughs> say to you, don't I, before I come out, has anyone got glasses on? But a few girls, <laughs> a few audiences, there's no one with glasses. So what you have to do is pretend. I was on this Wolverhampton Civic Hall and I was lucky because it's like a theatre style. So right at the front, I pointed to somebody at the front, but nobody else could see the front row. Mm. See what I mean? So there's kind of, um, it's, it's a weird thing, really. And another thing that I'd like to think I've learned through all my years on the stage is uh, never give up on an audience where I've been in many places where you're on stage and you're doing gags and you're not getting any laughter and 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and you're not... It's a horrible feeling. That's why they say you die on stage. You feel as though you're dying. Absolutely horrible. And then we are a lot of comics that say, well, I've had enough 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Walk off. I'll never walk off. I'll stay on and fight them and fight them and fight them. And many times it's happened. It's happened in some rough pubs where there have been too many people in. And, uh, and somebody might come in right at the end Everybody knows a local celebrity. I'll say something to him, and all of a sudden, you're bringing the fucking house down. Yeah. So it's yeah. not it's not how you start; it's how you finish. Being on stage is very fascinating, unpredictable. You never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, I've seen I've seen guys die, just drop dead, fell out a massive heart attack in the crowd. Um, I remember working with a speedy. BG's tribute act in Stoke, and um, the organist was playing, you know, Night Fever and all this, and he collapsed on on, on stage. Yeah, organ failure. I was waiting, to be fair, I was waiting for a staying alive. <laughs> well, you've dropped me on that one, Neil. I should have said staying alive. <laughs> Organ failure, mate. <laughs> uh, that was part one when we got to know everything about Frankie's career. Join us for part two where we go through some quick fire questions. What's the Greg Podcast? Follow us on social media for all of the latest news, releases and giveaways at What's the Greg PC.
Welcome back to part two of What's the Crack podcast in association with JMR Property Maintenance and the Rialto Plaza in Coventry. Still here with Neil, still here with Frankie and Will. Going to go through a couple of quick fire questions. First of all, Frankie, obviously you've met millions of people over the years you've been doing it. Who's yes. the biggest character you've ever met? Biggest? Character you've met. Uh, many characters, really. With regard to uh, sportsmen, or would you say anybody at all, really? Anyone you want, mate. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. It's a very difficult one. I know that um, some of the guys can be very funny. You know, you've got you, people like John H. Tracy, former welterweight world champ. He's a good speaker and um, he's funny as well when he's doing his act, you know, telling stories about his life. But Howard Kendall, we, we'd have to say really, well, Howard oh, Kendall, legend. the legend, he became a very wow. close friend of ours. And on stage, he, he had a, a marvellous act. The stories he told, all true, very entertaining, very funny, very gregarious, lovely man, sadly missed, passed away, but uh, literally a living legend. And so he's thinking now with, you know, his charisma, so much charisma when you met him. Um, mm -hmm. Probably one of the only people that you kind of, you don't feel intimidated when, when you're with him, but you, you literally feel as though you're with a great man, you know, you can pick, pick sort of the vibe up off him, yeah, Howard Kendall probably. Nice. You mentioned that it's become a close friend. Who would you say has become your closest friend out of doing comedy and the people you've met? Uh, well, we've got a support comedian, James Kilvington, who um, has not been doing it that long, really. And he's got his own style. He's not what you call mainstream. He's not alternative. Um, he's become a very close friend of ours now, mine and Will's, but he's a great comic and he'll travel. You know, a lot of comics, you know, a lot of people forget. A lot of comics kind of um, only want to work around the hometown. But, you know, we've we've worked everywhere. We'll go anywhere in the UK. And James Kilbington is the same. He comes with us or we meet him. He'll travel, you know, kind of travel. He lives in Middlesbrough. He'll come from the northeast to Liverpool. And we'll travel to Cardiff together or the south coast together. But, yeah, I'd say James Kilbington is probably the uh, yeah, best, best uh, friend we've made. You don't really seem a nervous man, to be honest, Frankie, but have you, is there any time in your career you've fucking shit yourself before going on stage? Well, no, to be honest with you, I'm a very strange guy and um, things terrify me. I can't fly. Terrify the flying. Scared of flying? I've been taken off a plane when it was actually taxiing because I freaked out. Um, <laughs> I did fly 18 months ago. We went to Tenerife, but I had to get myself hypnotised by a hypnotist, a guy called Phil Steele in Liverpool. And it actually worked. I flew all the way to Tenerife and all the way back for the first time on a plane in 15 years. But I'm, I'm afraid of flying, terrified. I'm afraid of uh, anaesthetic. I've refused operations that could have, you know, kind of like, I've been in life-threatening situations and refused an operation, point blank. I won't go in a lift. I'm terrified of lifts. I'm with you on that, mate. I'm, I'm scared of... Um, a lot of things frighten me. But if you said to me, now, look, Frank, um, if we were all together in the one room and you said, look, here's a surprise. If you walk through that door, there's an audience there, a thousand people, and you've got to go on and entertain them for an hour. Also, it's going live. You know, it's been live streamed everywhere. and Millions of people are watching. It literally wouldn't bother me. 
But if I'm in a supermarket in the Asda and I've got some things on a conveyor belt, if I think I'm holding, <laughs> I can't put the things in the bag. The girl has to do it because it just goes to pieces. Strange, you know? Yeah, that's fucked that is weird. We're all we we're all different. But I always, yeah. I'd like to say, oh yeah, I get a bit nervous, so I need I am whiskey before. No, I don't feel any it, it you know, it not doesn't bother me one way or the other. Just walk on stage. To me, it's just like putting the kettle on. Wow, with the amount of shows you've done, mate, yeah, it's probably second nature to you now. Um going off that, you know, the amount of shows you've done, what's the highlight of your career so far? Ah, uh, oh, that's a good, a good. Uh, where would you say, Will? The, the Sky Bar. Yeah, I suppose this, this. We went to Tenerife and did two sold-out shows there back to back. That was a, that was a good marker, um, with regards to to you know, a, a kind of a line in the sand to okay, this is what happens next. But I mean, I'm more excited for the the the, the key for for us was kind of sustaining this through the lockdown period because that was going to be the most difficult, especially with the lack of ability to be able to do content. I mean, we do, I don't know if you guys know, but we do a, a vlog or a mini documentary yeah. of every show that we go to, <coughs> backstage at the show and all the rest of it. And we did a, a big show in Liverpool. When I say a big show, for the circumstances of being able to do a 250 capacity show outdoor in the middle of the fucking pandemic, it was a big show Massive, in terms yeah. of what, you know, what other people were doing. So we did that right at the, uh, outside in Stanley Park in Liverpool, right slap bang in the middle of the pandemic. And that was a good one because it, what it showed was, you know, there's no sign of momentum slowing as long as we keep things up. It's, actually, it's actually picked up. And this is something where I've got a kind of, uh, what's the word? I've got a bow to will, really, because we both argued with each other. I've always believed in where the mouth, you know, kind of, that if you're good, you know, if you're a good joiner or you're a good carpenter, a good electrician, word will get round. But he's always said, well, no, it's only within within a 10-mile radius. You've got to get yourself on social media to become well-known, famous. It's just where the so mouth amplified, basically. It's where yeah. the mouth amplified. But really, yeah, I, I would say going back, like 10 years when I was working every week, three, four times a weekend, five or six jobs a week, different places, Manchester, Liverpool, going to Newcastle, Birmingham, Wales. Well, getting kind of a name for myself, but still being kind of unknown, if you know what I mean. And uh, once you're on social media, it's taught, taught me that even though we've not worked for 14 months, we're on a roll, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Because we had that many podcast that many blogs I should say in the bag um, Will was releasing them once every few weeks you know kind of giving people content uh, and we do live shows from home and people are watching them and doing podcasts like these fantastic so people are fans of yours then th- th- they can see you know they can watch they've got content so uh, certainly um, yeah the live entertainment although you know, I only live to have been on stage. I love being live entertainment. It's um, it won't promote you as much as the, the social media will. How's your podcast going now, mate? I've watched a few episodes you've done. You enjoying What's it? This, the podcast that we do together. Yeah, yeah. So to be to be honest with you, 
we started doing a podcast from from home, which was basically just the two of us talking about what we've been up to that week and, and just kind of like having a little bit of banter, which which do quite well. They get about, you know, a couple of thousand views. Um, but what we decided to do was during the lockdown period, and it was a decision that I made to be fair, due to the fact that we would just go and stare crazy. The only thing that we could do that constituted as work at that point was going out into a studio to meet people and to interview some live guests. So we started doing that, but there was a problem with the studio being 15 floors high in the air. And Frankie hated it that much that he was so nervous to do the podcasts that we kind of started, okay, cool. So at the moment, we've taken a quick three-week hiatus while the guy moves into his new studio so that we can bring guests into the studio. <laughs> I mean, this guy lived 15 stories high, this apartment block. Fucking hell, it's terrible. Yeah, fuck I mean, I was dreading it as every day was going by, getting closer the first time. I got in the lift and it got to about, I think it was about the seventh floor or some fucking eighth floor. And somebody was getting in and the door opened. And to me, that was literally, you know, as though you were drowning and somebody put their arms out to you. When I saw, I just had to run out, so I ran out of the lift. And uh, I had to climb seven, seven uh, sets of stairs then, seven flights of stairs. And uh, when we actually got to the top flight, Started doing the fucking podcast. I was wasted. You know, it was no good. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I work on the eleventh floor of an office block. Um, fair enough, I haven't been in for a year because of COVID. But um, yeah, I, I'm not a fan either, and it's fucking horrible, like oh, you say. Neil, it's it's horrible. It's not nice. But you see, people like me, I don't know, self defeating. I don't know why I do it. I'm always watching. I'm terrified of flying, but I'm always watching aircraft investigation. About <laughs> you know, I'm terrified of getting the lift going 15 floors. But anything about 9/11, I watch on the TV. It's just always kind of like bringing it on myself in a way. <laughs> Frank, who's the most famous person in your phone book, mate? Um, probably Tim Witherspoon. Would you say, Will? Most famous person in your phone book. Well, you've got me phone book now anyway. Just <laughs> who would be the most famous person in your phone book? Ah, it's a good one for quick fire that. It's hard to come off, off the top. Difficult. I'd have to say one of the boxers. Or, um... Don't know what you think, Will. Mm, I think probably from a global perspective, Tim Witherspoon. Tim Witherspoon, Larry Hall. Um, to be fair, this was for both of you, really. Um, has there ever been a time where you've been starstruck? Have I been starstruck? Have I been starstruck? Yeah, yeah, either of you. No, not me. No, to be to be honest, really, um, probably from an early age, since I started going on the stage, kind of, um, I could appreciate anyone who's talented. Yeah, but it only takes me two minutes to see someone who's bluffed the way through. You know, some comics on the TV that I know wouldn't last five minutes in any pub in the UK with a working class audience. They just die, so they'd be booed. But they've made it the millionaires on the television. They've done it through the media of the TV. So yeah, no, there's nobody really that's. Uh, I've got one, lads, you know, and this is something that, you know, any 
young lad watching this and, and you guys will both understand, you know, I've been in the same room as people like Michael Jackson, Mike Tyson, oh, you know, no. pe- people that... No, no, I'm not saying in the same room in that way. <laughs> but, you know, you know, like like Anthony Joshua, I've had conversations with like mega stars like that. But the only person I've ever been starstruck by was Steve McManaman when I was about ten years old. <laughs> Seriously, you know when you meet your hero when you're about ten and you're like shaking from head to foot. But I think that's the only time. Oh, that that's fucking brilliant. That's the last person I expected. When you said Steve, I thought you were going to go, I thought you were going to go Stevie Gerrard. Um, <laughs> I thought you knew Michael Jackson well. Michael Jackson, yeah. Fucking, he stayed exactly. in Neverland, didn't he? <laughs> well, he used to stay in Neverland when he was a kid. I've have some of that Jesus juice. Who was Michael Jackson? He was in Orlando. You were there. Did you? Oh, did you see him? I didn't. I didn't know. Yeah. That's up a bit. Um, have you got a favourite ever gig you've done, Frank? Um, obviously, so far, because obviously it's going to get bigger. I mean, and bigger probably well. we did the Hilton in Liverpool last year. That was a great show for a lot of reasons, really. I mean, to be honest with you, the fame thing I can take or leave it literally doesn't really bother me. What I'm a very strange guy, me, Neil. Um, what I've managed to do over the last couple of years, is see the day of people. A lot of people who wouldn't give me a break a few years ago, a lot of people who've caused me a little bit of heartache, not giving me work, who've overlooked me when they owned clubs or they were agents that could give me work and they never did. I've really had the opportunity now to um, be vindicated, get vindicated and and, and to um, literally to laugh in the face. And I am one of those guys who very, very Old Testament. I love to get revenge on people. Yeah. Just quickly, I won't mention his name, but I always do it. There's one guy, during the 80s and 90s, he had a club, and I used to get him myself very cheap. It's a friend of mine, getting the strippers very cheap. But about, go back about 10 years ago, we had another club, and he never, he just stopped using me, never gave me any work. And I was struggling at the time, and he was getting other comics in, paying them good money. And I really thought it was lousy of him just to kind of mm-hmm. uh, not forget about me. He knew I was there, but just to kind of, I don't know, disrespect me that way. Yeah. Now, since I got all this fame and things and a video and whatever, I, I bumped into him. And uh, I said to him, you know, I said, you fucking prick. I said, that's what I'm like, you know. I said, I bet you're sorry now you didn't give me any fucking work. I said, I will never work for you, you fucking cunt. <laughs> no, it was him, like, yeah, but now you're mates with him. You I'm not mates with him. Don't phone him up. Well, hang on a minute, Will. He found my number from somewhere and he phoned me up. I still fucked him off. I didn't do things like that. <laughs> Yeah, but that's what I'm like. I, 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 you know, if I make, if somebody really does something to me like that, I don't know. You're laughing at Will. I didn't mean that. You were on the phone. No, no, he rang me. Got me. We still fucked him off. Fair enough. Just who I am. Yeah. I've got. I've got a lot of time for that. No, I do. 
<laughs> Will, a, a question for you, mate. How many times have you used a chop lot to a bird that you are man's Frankie Allen? Never in my life, mate. Never. Never <laughs> in my life. I don't think birds know who the fuck Frankie Allen is, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but uh, it's it, it's a bit of a weird one because, like, every single week, weekend I I work, so every every single weekend I work on events, and I you know I've got no idea with regards to you know one week we're in Glasgow, one week we're in. You know, London, we're, we're all over the place. So I don't understand the um, what of how big of a name Frank now has in Liverpool. Obviously, I know because I run events and I'm able to see the translation on ticket sales. But apart from that, I don't ever think anything of it. But I'll always be out and someone will go, tell them who your dad is, tell them who your dad is. And I'll be like, <laughs> Frank Allen. Fucking hell, your dad's Frank Allen. <laughs> uh, he's a legend, he's a legend. Yeah, I mean... Well, people forget, you know, we kind of like, uh, this only just happened the last couple of years. I don't fucking live in Beverly Hills. I'm still in the same fucking house. Oh, tell them about the Iceland story. Yeah, I was in the Iceland yesterday, this shop. <laughs> and uh, this security guard came up for me. Fella, funny enough, from Lincoln originally, this guy going on about the Bentley Hotel in Lincoln. He said, Frankie, one of the guys that works, he's a big fan. And he wants a picture with you. But he, he's not sure if it's you, because he said he told his dad, and his dad said, why would Frankie Allen be in the Iceland? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we went to the stock room, this guy came out, and he said, is it definitely you, Frankie, or do you just look like Frankie Allen? I said, well, look, what do you want me to do? He said, well, say, fuck off, you cross-eyed twat. <laughs> so I said, fuck off, you cross-eyed, poor-eyed cunt. He had glasses, so he said, oh, it's you, OK. <laughs> and he said, let me have a picture. He said, I want to prove to me, Dad, because he said, why would Frankie be, Alan be in the Iceland? I said, I'm here because I need fucking milk, mate. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah, you, you, you do banging in your rings, that's why. <laughs> no milk, just to try and be a fucking star. <laughs> oh, that's fucking <laughs> brilliant. Say's all the way people perceive you in it, you know. Yeah. If they get a little bit of success, the next thing is you're fucking like... Uh, you're in Beverly Hills having a meal with Sylvester Stallone. It's fucking not done work that way. Things are just the same to me. Oh, man, that's, that, to be fair, that's probably one of the best stories you've told or not. I think that's fucking <laughs> class. Go on, call me a cunt just so I know you who you are. That's fucking brilliant. Um, All the time, yeah. Say something to me, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's weird, really, because... It's only, I mean, I'm exactly the same fellow as I was two years, three years ago. It's just perception, the way people perceive you, in it? You know. Yeah, uh, 100%, mate. Um, obviously, obviously, we're laughing. laughing? Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's still laughing at when you're bit, anyway, about that bloke calling you up when you took the call off him. What was that? They're still laughing about that bloke ringing you up, any? When you had a little bite at him a minute ago. I was only laughing at Well, we'll always try to embarrass me or call me a liar when we're doing these, you know. <laughs> Weird. Can't get me head around it. <laughs> Obviously, we know you're still on your journey and, you know, you, you haven't hit the heights that you're going to hit yet. Have you got a dream venue that you want to perform at? Not really. I mean, the venues are much of a muchness, aren't they, now? Unless you kind of do it in an arena... There's a few arenas around the UK um, I'd like to do if we could fill them. But, you know, I've done the Hilton where you are, Hilton and Liverpool. They're always nice venues. 
Uh, but it's always nice to work abroad. When we did uh, Tenerife, that was great. And it was literally, you know, heaving. They, they sold out the tickets the first day. Uh, so we had to put another night on. And that sold out straight away. Then they had to send some carpenters in, some joiners, to make extra seating. It was such a demand. So I really felt, I felt good on that one. Yeah, it was great. Here's a genuine question, Frank. If you did do arenas, say you say you were doing five, 6,000 arenas, would your show still work? Because it's a lot of interaction with the audience and you can't interact with that, with that many people. Oh, no. All you do, as I say earlier on, when I said there's nobody with glasses. <laughs> yeah. But any venue, and even a huge arena with thousands of people, people still have to go to toilets. They still have to go to the bar. Yeah, mm. found with theatres, you know, you will get a few people who go have got to get up. So as soon as they stand up, they're fair game to me. I tell you what, when when you're in Cov in August, I won't move a fucking muscle. <laughs> oh, I'll be fucking jabbing you in the ribs to make sure you fucking jerk up. Mate, as if you're gonna move a muscle, you'd be lying down on a bed with fairy lights. What would be the point? <laughs> I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna turn up now with a fucking few fairy lights around me that night. I stand out for you. Uh, uh, that's been the quick fire questions. Uh, we'll be back in a second uh, with part three. You are listening to What's the Crack. Welcome back to part three of What's the Crack. Um, I'm still here with Dave, uh, Will, and Frankie. Um, and, and this is the nitty gritty of the podcast. Normally, uh, when we have our sports stars, we uh, we, we talk about best 11s and uh, dream cards and stuff. But we're going to mix it up a little bit tonight uh, with you, Frank, if that's all right, mate. Um, and I'm going to ask you, in no particular order, top five most interesting sports stars that you've come across in your career. Yeah, OK. Um, I would say top five sports stars I've come across for being interesting and being charismatic and being having star quality, would be Joe Frazier. Wow. Former heavyweight world champ. I met Joe. Um, a long conversation with him. Worked with him many times. Um, Frankie Fraser, the gangster. I worked with Frankie Fraser many times on shows. Stayed in my house, become a good friend of mine when he came to Liverpool. His stories were literally unbelievable. What he used to say... When he was on stage, um, Howard Kendall again, you know, Howard Kendall, so much charisma. When you're with him, you really felt, you know, as though you're with someone extremely special and a very, very intelligent guy. You everything, everything about football, you know, you only have to mention a team. You know, we, we do lots of shows together, me and Howard. You know, say, for instance, we're driving up to the Lake District from Liverpool, a couple of hour journey. And we'd be speaking and things. He'd mention a team. If you mentioned a team that was in, you know, kind of like League Two or whatever, and you mentioned that team, straight away you'd say, oh, they, they need a goalkeeper. They, they've got to get rid of him. You know, he just yeah. was kind of on everything. A genius when it came to soccer, you know, football. Brilliant. Um, in a boxing world, really, you know, I met... Um, I mean, I met some fantastic, obviously world-class Anthony Joshua, who's a lovely man. But just for being kind of interesting, as I say, Joe Frazier, uh, Tim Witherspoon as well. I mean, they, these guys are living legends. Really, they don't have to be, 
you know, it's a bonus if they're charismatic, if they're interesting, if they're knowledgeable, like Alan Kendall was. But just to meet them, really, is a buzz. You know, you'll never see the likes of them again. Some of them, Mike Tyson, worked with Mike Tyson. These are people that, majority of people would, would, would never dream in their lifetime they could meet. And I've had the opportunity to do that, yeah. What about Ricky Hatton? You've met him, haven't you? Oh, yeah, Ricky's a very good friend of mine. Yeah, I've seen on your website, you've done a quote for you, didn't you, on your website? Yeah, Ricky's a great lad. And um, well, Ricky Hatton's got a friend, that he's been a childhood friend of his through um, from when he was at school up in Hattersley, Manchester, um, Stevie Heaton. Now, Steve's a very good friend of mine. And, and they, they run a pub, Steve runs a pub called the Hare Hill Tavern in Hattersley. And we very often used to go up there before the lockdown. And uh, he rang me a couple of years ago. We were doing a show in on the Widow somewhere. I can't remember what it was. Mike Woolley came to it. Um, he used to be a comic. And I went up there and Ricky's there. And we were all drinking and having a laugh after. And it's a funny thing that a lot of people won't know about Ricky Atten. When he's had a few drinks, all he does all night is sing Benny Hill's song, Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West. <laughs> he sits there singing it non-stop and he knows every fucking word <laughs> but I know Ricky very well I've done hundreds of shows with him and he's a lovely lad and you know one of the best boxers of all time yeah Ricky Atten good lad great lad he's, he soon just started uh, started boxing as well isn't he it's Campbell Campbell yeah yeah um, I, that, that's a hard act to follow I'm just going to throw a quick random question in now. Have you ever thought about doing a comedy, Will? Um, not my thing, mate. I've done it before. Don't get me wrong. I've done it and I've done well at it before. But it's just, it, I, I just think if you if you don't have passion for something, what's the point? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, um, and obviously, Frank's thrives off being on stage in front of people. I'd rather be sat in the house with a cup of tea and a biscuit, mate, than that. <laughs> Like genuinely playing a bit of FIFA with the lads. <laughs> just for a second to get back to Ricky Hatton. What everybody forgets is Matthew Hatton, his brother, was world. Yeah. yeah. He was he was a great boxer, you know, and he was very nearly world champ. Yeah, hundred percent. Um I think he is always forgotten about. Um boys, it this has been fantastic. It's it's been hilarious. Um we've touched on it before, but You'll come into Coventry on the 13th of August, Friday the 13th. Friday it's going to be, it's going to be lucky for some that night, isn't it? Tickets are available now, rialtoreborn.co.uk. Rialto Plaza is going to be a big one and it's going to sell out. I mean, I think the tickets are at 80% capacity now. There won't be that many left. Um, and it's definitely going to sell out, especially given the fact that it's probably a month after. No, it's, sorry, it's, it's eight weeks after the restrictions are lifted to full totally, capacity. Totally so it's going to be a smash. We're all over the UK. You know, if anyone else is listening from anywhere else in the UK, tickets to frankieallen.co.uk. All the tour dates are going to be announced by the end of April. They include huge, huge venues everywhere from Glasgow, Blackpool, Swindon, Cardiff, Newcastle, Sunderland, Birmingham, all over the place. And um, yeah, it's going to be good. And if you can't catch us in Cov, we're in Birmingham, we're in Redditch, we're, we're going to be all around that area, Wolverhampton. So, good stuff. Been a pleasure, boys. Yeah, I can't, can't wait to see you in the flesh and kind of uh, see you do your thing, Frankie. Yeah, nice to meet you, Neil and Dave. 
No, well, re- re- really appreciate you giving up your time. You, you tall or you average? Me? Yeah. It's four yeah. for the fact, but... I'm uh, five ten, mate. Fuck I off. Quite yeah. tall, <laughs> To be honest Fuck with you, off. I'm only asking you because on here you look about 14. <laughs> I, I, I take, take that as a compliment, mate. I'm fucking 30 next year. <laughs> oh dear, bless you, Dave. Brilliant. So, you both coming along to that show yet, lads? Yeah, we're yes, mate. Yeah, we'll be there. Don't you worry. Uh, we'll, we'll have a beer and a catch up properly and uh, get to see Frankie do his thing on stage. Look forward to it. Brilliant. Please. What's the Crack Podcast? Proudly sponsored by JMR Property Maintenance. From rewires to extension builds, JMR have it covered. Contact them today for a free, no obligations quote.